We are on the last week of our series on the book of Galatians. I mean, there should be like joy and jubilation breaking out. We're like finally done with this book. Um, but the, as you can see, and I'm going to need to quantify this a little bit, the title of this sermon today is called Jesus Hates Religion. And so some of you are probably thinking, what? I came to the wrong church this morning. But today we're getting into this last section where Paul gets into this mission of God. What is God's mission here on earth? And there's always been this inner struggle with us as humans, right? There's always this inner struggle with us as people. And that is, what do we do to merely keep up appearances in our own lives? And then what is actually really happening in our own lives, in our own hearts? What do we do outwardly? But what do we really believe behind closed doors? This has always been a struggle within the church as well as outside of the church. If you go all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, God takes the prophet Ezekiel up by the hair, which I think would hurt, and he takes him up by the hair and he shows him the temple and he shows him the priest and the priests were, were worshiping the sun god to show him what really happens behind some closed doors. There's this battle raging at the time of the writing of this book for what is outwardly done versus what is done in the heart. There's this battle that is just absolutely raging, and Paul hits on this battle um, in the book of Galatians. He, so he addresses it, what's going on all around him. And we're going to get to that today, but first what I want to do is begin to show you this thread of teaching that's all through the Scripture. And then when we land in Galatians, hopefully it'll really make sense. We have to start where the Bible starts, and that's with creation of life. In this creation, man and woman are given free will, and this is both the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity and also like one of the biggest curses that's ever happened to humanity because in our free will, we decide to, to not choose God. In the freedom that we have to choose, we decide to just maybe not even care about our spiritual lives whatsoever. In the freedom that we have to choose, we decide that we are our own gods. But free will, I would, I would argue, is better than not having free will at all. So in man's freedom, man and women choose death and sin. They knew the consequences. They, God told them what would happen, and they choose it. They choose death, and they choose sin. And they begin to now live outside of the garden, shut out from paradise, where they were this brand new creation. They were this perfect state. Now they're shut out because of their choice to live apart from God. But God still provides for his people, and he makes a covenant with his people. And this covenant is through Abraham. And we probably know this story between Abraham and Isaac and Abraham and Sarah. We know the covenant that he made. And this is a covenant made by faith. And the sign of the covenant, by the way, there's always a sign of a covenant. What's the sign of the covenant of marriage? Wedding ring, right? There's a little symbol to remind you of your covenant. Uh, when you become a new believer, when you begin to follow Jesus, the sign of that is baptism. There's always a sign that follows a covenant. And so what God did was he made this covenant by faith with Abraham, and then he said, I want you to be circumcised. Now, because the word covenant in the Old Testament meant, and if we were to, to read it how it's literally written in the Hebrew, it would be to cut a covenant, not 
to covenant with each other, but to cut a covenant. There are still tribes in Africa that actually, um, there are still indigenous tribes that cut their thigh when they make an agreement with somebody. In other words, to say, this is how it will be with me. I am literally putting my life on the line for this promise. That's pretty intense, right? Now all we do is we sign a, a document and get a good lawyer if we want to break it, right? That's all we have to do. Right, Rita? Is Rita here? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we do now. I mean, maybe you've seen movies where they've, like, cut their hand and, and done a handshake. I do not recommend that. But this was an old way of cutting a covenant, It was always a covenant that was cut. In other words, blood was always shed to say my life is on the line if I break this covenant. And God put that covenant too. He said, I'll put my life on the line for my people in order that we might covenant together. And what's a covenant? A covenant is simply a relationship. That God's covenant with his people is that they were going to have this relationship and he was going to make them a people that would inhabit a land not like other nations. The covenant part of our lives is the relationship with God. It's a lot harder to keep than the law. In my Sunday school class today, Isaiah Swanson, a youth student, made the observation, a great observation, that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they didn't know how to live without the law. And so God gave them law. Because they were under this heavy law in Egypt, and so they had to, to, to get this new law in order to help them live. And so God provided law for his people. The Old Testament, now we know the Ten Commandments, right? This is all biblical law. So God provided this law for his people. But always, 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 the main point was that the heart, the heart would be at the center of all of it. So over and over and over again, we see things like this in the Bible. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and you will live. The point was never that you try to follow the Ten Commandments. If you try and follow the Ten Commandments, you're going to fail every time. If any of you here are like, Pastor Dave, I would like to learn how to follow the Ten Commandments. The number one thing I would tell you is don't try to follow the Ten Commandments because you will fail every time. What I would tell you is you need to become the kind of person that would naturally follow them, the kind of person whose heart is after God's own heart. And when you're that kind of person, you will naturally follow the Ten Commandments. You would never think to commit adultery. You would never think to worship another God. You would never think to testify falsely against a neighbor because your heart has been so transformed. So in other words, what God was saying to his people, the circumcision of the heart, the outward appearance doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Your faith matters. This was written during a time when the Israelites did not circumcise because they were being disciplined by 40 years in the desert. God was showing them the way it actually would be one day, that he would cut their hearts with his covenant, that he would be there. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27 says this. I will give you a new heart. 
I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So what God is saying here is, literally, I want to remake your heart. This outward law stuff that you keep talking about, that's, that's important. We want that to be the end result. But what I really want is transformation of the heart. Because when transformation of the heart happens, then that other thing naturally happens. And that's what I really want. And again, fast forwarding, um, we, get to, we get this text in the Old Testament that God wants to recreate us from the inside out and to give us a brand new heart. God clearly cares more about the inner self, the inner person. God clearly cares more about your heart than he does about your outer appearances. When the nation of Israel asked for a king, God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And what he did is he gave them this rugged, handsome king that was a military feat. And his name was Saul. He was a pretty man. That's kind of what the Bible says, that he was handsome. I know it's weird to call a dude pretty, but he was a nice-looking guy. He was at what everybody thought of as a leader, but Saul kind of disqualified himself, and, and in a few months we're going to get into all that. We're going to do a little series on 1 Samuel, but that's later on. And He kind of disqualified himself from being the king. He sort of lost God's favor by not listening to God and then by trying to perform the, the act of both a priest and a king. And so God anoints a new king. And is literally the runt of the litter. He goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has five kids. And, and he says, bring them all out in front of me. And he didn't even think to bring out David, because David was out in the fields. He was this little guy, and, and literally the name in, in Hebrew that they use is the runt of the litter. The least important of the boys. And in 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't care how you look on the outside. He just doesn't care about it. He does not care about the, what we do for show. He does not care about what we do for pretense. In fact, in the Bible, he says, if you're just doing this just to do it, then I, then I hate that. That is not what I called you to do or to be. I want your heart. And I want a heart that wants me. That's what I want. I want a heart. And even with all the requirements of the law, all the things that the Old Testament said that you had to do, there was like sacrificial requirements. And people began to do these sacrificial requirements just sort of out of pretense. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, I sinned, so I'm going to do this. Almost as this check off, like, I'm going to go to church so I don't go to hell. Um, or I'm going to read my Bible today so to make God happy. You know, they, they just began to check off this list. None of us do that today, right? So they began to just, Look at God as this checklist. I'm just going to check my relationship with God off the list today. And in Psalm 51, after David sins with Bathsheba, he realizes a really important truth. Because he brings, you know, the burnt offerings, he brings the sacrifices, he brings his guilt offering, he brings it all to God. He, he, he brings it before him, but then he realizes this. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says this, You... Do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. 
In other words, you don't delight in this burned-up cow in front of me, or else I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. What he's saying is, you do not even care about these outward sacrifices. What you really care about is the state of my heart while making them. It's almost like when we give to God. If you're giving, the Bible says you should give generously and joyfully. And if you're giving out of state of like, you know, ripping the check out, hoping it rips in half, you know, if you're giving like that, then maybe you shouldn't give. Maybe you just shouldn't give. God wants it to be out of a joyful heart that you do it. Not out of anger. The most holy followers of God during this day realized that following God was an internal reality. It was an internal reality that had external ramifications. And that's exactly how it is today. It's an internal reality that has external ramifications. Hosea chapter 6, and again, you're going to see how this thread hopefully all fits together. Hosea 6, 6, just a quick one. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So does God care about the offerings? Yeah, sure, but what he really cares about is the heart behind it. All the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the Bible, we see this reality that God really wants our hearts. Any one of us can fake behavior. We've probably done it before. We could fake our spirituality. We could fake what we say. I mean, one of the best things, I hate telling people on an airplane that I'm a pastor. It's the worst thing because you know what you immediately get right afterwards? Oh, well, I prayed today. Oh, well, congratulations. Let me get out a Jesus star, pin it on you. Um, and, and, you, you know, they, they say, oh, let me tell you how spiritual and religious I am. You know, you sit next to guys who are like cussing one moment and you tell them you're a pastor and they totally change their tune. It's like, dude, just be yourself. I, I'm not offended by you being yourself. Just be yourself. But um, any one of us can fake behavior. Any one of us can say the right things. But when your heart is really submitted to God, then you cannot help but do the will of God. Something I've been saying all through the book of Galatians is that we need to get out ahead of our desires. Is that that's one of the things, one of the messages of the book of Galatians, is that our desires will always control us unless we get out ahead of those. We submit those to Jesus and get out ahead of them. Whoa. Listen to what um, God says to the people who are faking it in the Old Testament. And, And honestly, this should terrify us. This should freak us out. But God is speaking to some people in the Old Testament who are simply faking it. They're doing this religious stuff just to appease God so that he won't destroy him. So out of the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 21, this is God speaking to people. Remember that. This is God speaking to people. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. 
I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The church in this moment, the, the Hebrew people forgot what they were about in this moment. Offering just became something for show. The priests wore these beautiful robes for show to delineate who was more holy than other people. And what God said to them is, I hate all that. I can see through all that, and you people stink. That's what he told them. Your assemblies stink to me. Remember, they offered up good-smelling incense to God. And he says, because of the inner reality of your heart, you stink. Man's temptation with God is always to appease him by keeping up appearances, to appease him by keeping the rules. God doesn't want rule followers as much as he wants people whose hearts are fully dedicated to him because in that you will always follow the rules without even thinking about it. These verses are a reminder to us that we can do and say all the right things, but if our heart isn't in it, if our heart isn't there, if our heart isn't bowed and submitted to God, we will always just stink before him. Do you stink today? I mean, I showered. You're welcome. But does the inner reality of your life, is it pleasing to God or is it not? One more verse and we're going to get into the book of Galatians this morning. And the reason why I'm doing this is because the book of Galatians is so quick this morning. Matthew chapter 22, 23. We might think that this is just an Old Testament phenomenon, that, that maybe God is just talking to the religious leaders of the Old Testament just simply to, to remind them, you know, they stink. But then he begins, Jesus who is God's son, begins to speak to the religious rulers of the day. These are the pastors. These are the, the people who are in charge. And he simply tells them, I mean, you could read all of Matthew chapter 23. It is crazy what he tells these people. But just um, verses 23 through uh, 24 here, we're going to look at today. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. Did you bring your mint, dill, and cumin today? Did you put that in the offering? Good. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And by the way, that would have been a hilarious joke back then. People would have been like rolling at Jesus saying that. We just don't get first century jokes, but... Uh, um, is hyperbole. I'm going to tell you why it's funny. Um, the idea is you give a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin. These are the smallest of the smallest of things. These are spices. These spices are things that people just have laying around in their house. And so what he's saying is, imagine somebody cutting up their mint, dill, and cumin. They lay them out, and it's like a little kind of powdery. And so they take a, a little knife, and they, they say, okay, that's a tenth, and then they've got to take that and put it into a cup, and then they've got to, you know, really mark out a tenth of everything. He's saying, you will so, you go so far in getting the minorest detail of the law right that you forget the completely obvious parts of the law, like justice, like mercy, like faithfulness. You forget the most important 
part of the law. And then he says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. In the first century, to follow real um, Jewish teaching on this, anything that landed in your cup that was smaller than a lentil bean, you could let it be. But if it was bigger than a lentil bean, you had to strain it out or else it was unclean, right? Obviously, that's how we do things today. We're like, waitress, I have a fly in here. Is this bigger than a lentil bean or not? I need a strainer. No, we don't do this today because hopefully this doesn't happen to us today, right? It's re- it's, it seems ridiculous, but this is something that actually happened. And, and so he's saying you're straining out a gnat, which is the smallest of all things. But in your strict adherence to the smallest part of the law, you actually swallow the biggest animal that's unclean in the Bible, which is a camel. And you can't obviously swallow a camel as a joke that Jesus is making to the Pharisees. I love that Jesus makes jokes to people's face, by the way. Isn't that great? Um, But what he's saying is you will follow the law to the most detailed, detailed end, but you completely forget about the matters of the heart. And that stinks. There's no good for that kind of religious authority. So if that's the religion that you follow, dump it in the trash. That's what, simply what Jesus is saying here. And that's what God is saying in the book of Amos. If that's the religion you want, it's completely worthless to me. You could do that on your own. You don't even need me to be here. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. So the point all through the Bible is, is everywhere. I could show you 200 more verses on this, is that God really just wants your heart. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6 now. We could finally end. There's going to be a parade, you know, fireworks. We're done with the book of Galatians. Um, So again, one of the major themes in the book of Galatians is keeping the outward law and appeasing God through that doesn't work. Quit trying. Quit doing that. What really matters is your heart. This is the main theme all the way through the book of Galatians. So verse 11, chapter 6, verses 11 through 18 See what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. In other words, pay attention. I mean, he's writing the book of Galatians, and then he's like, nope, I'm going to write this part bigger. You know, like you write caps LOL to people, like you really want them to know that was a really hard laugh. But like the lowercase LOL means like, "Eh, yeah, that was kind of funny, right? Anybody? Okay, same with Paul. See what large letters I use to write you in my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that you may boast about your circumcision of the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through, which, through w- which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts, by the way, anytime the Bible says what counts, you ought to listen up to, what counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule of Israel of God. From now on, I let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks Um, on my body, the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So what's happening here is Paul is summing up his entire letter. And he says, 
your lives were not built for rule keeping. Your lives were simply not built for rule keeping. This is exactly what the church started to do. They started to follow Jesus and they thought, you know what, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I ought to circumcise people. Maybe I ought to begin to follow these Old Testament rites and passages. Maybe I, I begin to need to start wearing clothes that are marked out and holy and separate. Maybe I need to start eating different kinds of meats. Maybe I need to start doing And they went further and further and further down this line, and their faith was left out. And we begin to do this too in the church where, where we begin to follow Jesus and we think, maybe I should be doing more. There's nothing more you could possibly do, by the way. Jesus died on the cross. There's nothing more that you could possibly do. Sure, you could spend more time with him, but you can't get saved more if you're saved. You can't get saved more than you're already saved. So Paul is summing up this book, and he brings out something beautiful at the end. The mission of Jesus. God's aim with man is to make him into a new creature that daily relies on his voice. Let me take you back through the timeline in a really quick way. So if this is a timeline, and we're kind of over here. There's creation a brand new creative force. God created his people, the earth, and everything in it. And Adam and Eve were cool for a little while. They were good until they sinned, and then they were fallen. And then now all human history is going about in their fallenness. And so God gives them this law, and he gives them this covenant, and he's trying to to help them to be that kind of person. And he makes this blood covenant with them. And and basically he says, if I break the covenant, then, then, then you could have my life. But it was people that continually broke the covenant. So God stepped in and said, instead of you dying for breaking the covenant, I'm going to die for your breaking of the covenant. And I'm going to redeem you once and for all right now. And then Jesus died. And then he rose from the dead. And in that new resurrection from the dead, we get new life. That Jesus actually conquered the death that happened way back in the garden. And that now new life is actually possible because Jesus conquered death. And because Jesus conquered death, that means we could be remade in his image. Because Jesus, the same Jesus who was present with God all the way back in creation, came back to recreate his people into his image now. Jesus' entire mission was to begin a brand new creation of heaven and earth right here. The kingdom of heaven is among us. That's the message. To begin a brand new creation. And he wants to birth that in the life of his people. He wants us to be a brand new creation, not these religious zealots that, that, that only follow strict adherence to certain laws. He doesn't want that. He said that stuff stinks. But he wants people that look like him and talk like him because their hearts are turned towards them. He wants people whose hearts are fully submitted and surrendered to him. See, one of the things about religion is that it's been used as a powerful weapon. And God doesn't want that either. Access to God is a powerful thing. And when you have people who are uneducated and you have a religious group that is educated, it becomes very easily to abuse power. Let me give you a for instance. It's estimated that 90% of the people in Jesus' day were completely illiterate. They could not read. This is why there's great sayings like, turn the other cheek and things like that, because people could remember that. 
And so when people can't read and they, they, they have a difficult time um, uh, gaining knowledge, then the religious authority begins to take power and abuse. And that's what began to happen. And the church was good for a while, and, they, and then the church even sort of got, went through these dark ages of the church where there was like two or three popes at a time and, and where pulpits were being bought and sold because you could make the most money as a pastor at that church because you could just take from the offering. You know, or you could influence elections or you could be elected to high office. It went through these dark ages And the Reformation happened in the 1500s, not just because of the selling of indulgences, but because people were being ordained into the priesthood without ever reading a Bible. Parishes were being bought and sold. The people didn't have access to Bibles. The Reformation happened because the people who liked to just practice religion, it came out of their hearts and it went into their hands and it said, we're going to just do this power thing. And there was abuses, abuses, abuses over and over and over again. And we just want to affirm that there was people during that time that said, this stinks. God hates this type of stuff. God hates this type of religion. And so there was people like Martin Luther and, and Paul Hus and, and Martin Zingley. And, and I mean, we could just go on of the church, list of church reformers who said, no, we're not going to let this happen. And they begin to preach the Bible. They begin to write the Bible. Literally, Martin Luther wrote the Bible in German, and it became accessible for thousands of people. And that's one of the things that started the Reformation. Because once it went to German, it was easy to take it to English. Empty religion took us into the dark ages of civilization. Religion that was built on power grabs took us into the dark ages. If your religion is all about scoring points with the big man upstairs, trash that as fast as you can. If your religion is all about checking off the list, oh, I read my Bible today, trash that as fast as you can. You could not be more opposed to the teachings of Jesus. What Jesus came to do and what Paul wrote about was a religion that was supposed to be birthed within your heart and you were supposed to be changed into a brand new creation because Jesus made it possible to overcome death with his life. And so he said, I want to birth a brand new creation in you is all the way through the book of John. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, he says, for death Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus wants to radically recreate your life. It's not about this empty adherence. It's literally about about saying, yes, Jesus, I need a new way of doing things because the way I've been doing things, I've been leaving a carnage trail everywhere. That's what empty religion does. You leave carnage trails. And many of you have been through this. I mean, I've seen this happen in churches where, where pastors are, are simply practicing this empty religion, and it just leaves this trail of carnage everywhere. I've seen it happen in denominations. I've seen it happen all over the place. We leave trails of carnage when we do not take on the character of Christ. Following Jesus is a whole new deal. Jesus is the creator of the universe, and he came again to recreate us. The only one who made every living thing 
in the earth and everything in it. He simply wants your heart. He doesn't want any empty, inauthentic religion. He hates the pretense of all that. So maybe you're here today and, and you stink. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, that sounds like me. I've been checking off the religious list for years. I would encourage you to sacrifice that. Because what Psalm 51 says is the sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart. I would simply say, God, I've been just simply trying to check off the religious list for years, and I really want to follow you with my heart. And God, I need you to recreate my life because what I've been trying to do, or I've been my own God, I've been in charge, hasn't worked out so well. And God, I need you to help me recreate my life. Paul says this is what counts, the new creation. Just as in Adam brought all the sin into the world, one man, Jesus, brings brand new life to the world. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, life kind of stinks and you need to be recreated. I want to invite you into that journey right now to ask the God of the universe who created all things to recreate you into his image. And it, it, it's, it's really easy. The only thing that Jesus says that begins this is faith. To put your confidence in him. And to begin to do the things that he says. So like if you read the, the, the New Testament and you're, and you're reading um, the book of Matthew and, and you're like, oh wow, you know, I should love my enemies. Begin to do that. That's what faith looks like. You begin to do the things that you say you're going to do. Or that you believe in. So it simply starts by putting your faith in Jesus. That's it. There's no hocus pocus to it. There's nothing crazy. There's, I mean, there's sinner's prayers and those work great and everything too. But simply to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to yours. I've been doing it my own way forever. And I, and I need to live a new life. And I can't do that without you. The band is going to come here right now and we're going to begin to um, take communion today. And one of the things that is a reminder about communion is that the elements we take remind us that it's life. Jesus is life. Hello. The banjo is here today. That we take Jesus' life upon our life. Now, if you're here and you're like, you know what, I've never done communion before. That's just weird to me. I don't want to do it. Just go ahead and let the tray pass. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. This is for people who who know Jesus, and, and it's a reminder that, Jesus, you've exchanged your life for mine, and, and that you have set me free, and that you have paid the price for my sins, and that this empty religion is not anything we follow, but it's a reminder that we're in a relationship with God. That's simply what this is. So I want to invite you to pray with me. I just want to invite you to pray and prepare your hearts for a moment. And John and the band are going to lead us through a little bit of a song first. Father, Lord, we need our lives to be wrapped up in your life. We need our heart to be wrapped up in your heart. God, lead us away from the mindset that we just need to keep all the rules and do all the right things. And God, lead us towards your heart. Because in finding your heart, we end up doing the right things. 
So Lord, I pray that you would change us and mold us and recreate us in this moment right now. And if there's anybody here who simply needs to say, God, I need to just put my faith in you. The way I've been doing it, I've been having my faith in me all these years and it just has not worked out. Maybe that's you. I just want to simply encourage you to mark that spot on the bulletin and and turn it in because you need accountability in that decision. So Lord, I pray that you would change us, that you would mold us, that you would make us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.